Welcome back, everybody, to another fun edition of the Rolex Whiskey Passion Project. And today, in the world of Instagram influencing, I've got one of the OGs, like a guy that I was motivated by in six, seven years ago. He's got a huge passion for, for whiskey, and he just is a great guy. I'd like to welcome Nate, a.k.a. Whiskey with a View. Welcome to the show, my friend. You want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, sure. Uh, first off, appreciate you having me on. But uh, yeah, my name's uh, Nate Woodruff, and I, I kind of combine my passion for whiskey as a whole and photography to create kind of like my my dream job. Like not, what I did never really existed in the whiskey world before I started it. And then, you know, I obviously went down the road of, of working in the industry itself as a brand ambassador, marketer, consultant, et cetera. But yeah, my, my main claim to fame was just climbing up a mountain with a bottle of whiskey in my backpack and taking a picture of it. And, it kind of and how many that. years ago, how many years ago did that start? Oh boy. Let's see. I've been in the industry now for over a decade. I think I started doing the whiskey with a view photography seven or eight years ago, I want to say around that time. Yeah, because I've been in it almost eight years. You were definitely in there before me. I mean, you. I mean, yeah. It, I mean, it's just such an OG move because Instagram obviously was different back then to what it is today. There wasn't really, you know, there weren't really whiskey influencers. I mean, I remember Nate and I would go to some of these events and be like, "Wait, like, wait, there's like whiskey influencers? This is kind of wild." Okay, sure, like that's great, but you know, you really were the pioneer in that space, hands down. And as you said, you were just having fun, right? You were hiking up a yeah. mountain, which you were going to do anyway. You were drinking whiskey, which you were going to do anyway. You just combined them. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was weird because I used Instagram as a format to review whiskey, and you know, everybody was still basically just doing blogs and, and the internet. And there were maybe like four other guys reviewing whiskey on Instagram. Like, no joke. Like, there were very few guys reviewing whiskey on Instagram when I started, and I I used it as more as a as a journal. Because I'm very visually oriented. So for me, if I took a picture, a bottle of whiskey, and uh, wrote down my notes and my review online, it kind of stuck in my head more efficiently. So I didn't think it was going to really do anything. It was just a, a fun practice for me to, to remember and, 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 and keep a record of what I had tasted. I mean, then people started following me for their reviews, which was cool. And then, yeah, one day I just happened to put a take a bottle on a hike and take a picture of it sitting on a rock in a river. And I noticed it got a ton more traction. So I was like, I'm onto something here. And then, you know, it escalated very quickly and turned into what it very is. quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and tell me, let's go on your journey of whiskey. How, how long, you know, what, what was your first foray? What did it look like about what part in the, in, in time was it? Like what drew you to whiskey as an individual? Well, I mean, I, in my early twenties, much like, many other men my age uh you know booze for me was to party it wasn't to be respected you know i was drinking you know miller light shots of jaeger captain and gingers i didn't even drink whiskey because i had thrown up from it when i was like 17 years old and stole my friend's dad's stash of, i don't know i think it was jack daniels and so it wasn't until i was about 24 23 24 uh one of my bar managers gave me a bottle of maker's mark on my birthday and I was like, come on, Scott, I don't, I don't drink whiskey. And he's like, this is, this isn't just whiskey. This is bourbon. He's like, you're going to have a glass of this on the rocks, one glass a night for, for seven nights and you'll be hooked. And lo and behold, I, I did. And it 
kind of helped turn my life around. Like I had a really bad issue with, with, with drinking and, and a dependency and full-blown alcoholism, really. I mean, I'm very open about it, but I mean, I was blacking out drunk four nights a week on average, probably for years. Uh, I was not good. And whiskey kind of pulled me out of that because I became obsessed with not drinking it. Well, I mean, I love drinking it, but the process and how different flavors and uh, were created and different expressions and styles. And, you know, it was kind of a very opportune time to get into it because when I started, there were only, I believe, 80 licensed whiskey distilleries in the country. And, you know, now we're going 2,500 or something crazy. So I was able to kind of progress. I got in at just the right time where... I was able to pr- progress with the craft whiskey boom and, and a lot of these distilleries reached out to me and were sending me samples and then I started making some money off of it and it just kind of like, you know, now I'm at the point where I get, I, I had distilleries reach out I've never even heard of and, you know, they're creating some real good shit and it's just like, I don't, I had no idea this was a thing, you know, but uh, it's just a very saturated market compared to when I started. Oh, 100%. I mean, you talk about Maker's Mark, I mean, it's a common theme of all of these podcasts. Like Maker's Mark was, you know, it was the better of the 80 whiskeys that were in the market. Yeah. You know? And it kind of like it, it was the most known. It, yeah. It was, you know, uh, some people were saying it was like the Johnny Walker blue of scotch. <laughs> it was like, well, you know, you drank beam, or, you know, if if you really wanted to like have a good time. But if it was something special, you went to Baker's Mark. Well, it was also at the forefront of, of being one of the, you know, only weeded bourbons on the market at the time mm-hmm. that you could get anywhere. And on top of that being, you know, they had a brilliant marketing strategy of, of making it a top shelf bourbon. No one was doing that for Maker's Mark, especially with the wax and all that. Yeah. So so that's that's your first foray. You see this Maker's Mark, it kind of like triggers something in your head that, the, hey, this is kind of, this is something here. Where do you, where do you go next with that? Well, from there, um, it wasn't just the, the taste. I, I did like the taste. It was the feeling of drinking whiskey. I was like, you know, I, I always had dealt with insecurities and stuff. And I was like, I feel like a like a man. I don't feel like a teenager drinking shots of, you know, horrible liqueur. I'm drinking something real. So there was a mental aspect to it. And then, you know, from there, I remember after Makers on the Rocks, I was like, okay, I can, I can, I can dig this. And then after that was, uh, I started drinking Irish whiskey, Neat, Tullamore Dew, which was, was actually the first whiskey I ever drank, Neat, and enjoyed. Um, ironically enough, I ended up working with them for three years, but... Yeah, and then from there, I mean, it just escalated. I was bartending at the time and and making some, some good money doing that. So I had, you know, extra money. I stopped going out to the bars as much. I started saving up and buying a bottle every week of something new to try. And then that's why I started posting on Instagram and reviewing it. And uh, yeah, and then it just kept going and going. It hasn't really stopped. And Nate, eight, 10 years ago, what is a whiskey, the bar you're working at, what does their whiskey selection look like at that point? Both bar programs that I ran back then had very, very small whiskey selections. Other than like your rail whiskeys, you had maybe four to 12 different like bourbons or scotches that you could find pretty much anywhere. But I took over those and, and expanded greatly. I mean, I think when I left both bars, one was at like 60 different types of whiskey and one was at, you know, 40 or 50 different bottles and they were selling pretty well. Yeah, it's wild. We spoke to a gentleman the other day when he started his journey 14 years ago, there were 30 bottles and now there's 800 bottles in the bar oh yeah. <laughs> I, have di- I have different kinds of whiskeys like it used to be all vodka and cordials and like shotty kind of stuff but then like he's like wow it's all whiskey now i mean of course we got some vodka some tequila some rum 
but you know, 15 years ago, there was not much whiskey on a back bar. No, not at all. And I mean, it wasn't just the fact that I was passionate and I wanted people to try it. It's, there was a genuine interest that was just blowing up at that exact time where everybody, everybody started going whiskey crazy. And, and when you say whiskey crazy, who enters the room you went to, I didn't realize, tell me a little bit of history working for Tillamore. I didn't realize you worked there. Well, that was, was my that first, well, it was, it was, uh, for William Grant. So, I mean, their port, their whiskey oh, portfolio, that was my first job in the industry I got when I was 20, uh, 24. William Grant offered me a job as their associate brand ambassador for New Jersey. So I worked with the whole portfolio from Telemore dude, Glenn Fittick, Balvany, Monkey Shoulder, Hudson, et cetera. And that was my first, first, that was my first job in the whiskey industry. So I did that for three years. Um, did you, and, and I would imagine your brain and the learning capacity is pretty high in those three years. Yeah. Soaking it all in. Yeah. It was a crash course. I, I absolutely was obsessed with becoming a, a full-time brand ambassador. Um, I just loved the culture. You know, I, I worked in bars and restaurants since I was 17 years old. It's kind of really all I knew. So it was easy for me to take information. And, and that was a, that was a part-time job too. Like I would work for them, you know, a couple times a week sometimes, but I was still bartending on the side. So it was nice because I got the aspect of being in front of a bar and behind a bar, learning all the cocktails, learning from my peers, you know, bark from bartenders more talented than I am. And and just learning the trade from the brand ambassadors that that trained me and brought me up. So you got American whiskey, you got Irish whiskey, and now obviously, you know, working for William Grant, you've got Scotch as well. Yes, yeah, they had all three under their portfolio. And for you, as as a whiskey uh, a whiskey respect respected lover, like you really are taking your time. Are you now kind of seeing that Scotch can be cool too, or are you still an American whiskey, Irish whiskey kind of guy? Oh no, I'm obsessed with scotch. I, I absolutely adore scotch. Scotch is where I really started nerding out because it was a much more established industry than the budding uh, American craft whiskey movement. So there was a lot more information to draw on. I mean, that was that was where I started really learning the history. I mean, I could learn the history of the American brands, at least the major distilleries fairly rapidly, but I did a very deep dive into scotch for years and I, I'm still completely obsessed with it. I, I love it. It'd be having having Scottish blood in me definitely has uh, helped enhance that. I just I just have an affinity for it. And what and in your Scotch affinity, what were some of your first experiences that really stood out? Where you're like, whoa, this is different. Uh, Springbank Fifteen Year. That's an easy one. That was the first. <laughs> that was the first Scotch that got me into Scotch. Hundred <laughs> percent. Isn't it wild watching Springbank? Little is like getting re uh, re. It makes me so sad. You know. It makes me so sad, man. I used to get, I mean, but again, this is with basically every whiskey at that point. I could get, you know, Yamazaki 18 on the shelf for, for 150 bucks. I could get, you know, I'd have stuff sitting on the shelf. We're at, we're at buck 39 at, at Trader Joe, you know, like, oh, yeah, exactly. Because it wasn't like, there wasn't many whiskeys over $200. No, only the bad releases were really the, the ones over that, or if you wanted a, a scotch over 20 years, 21 years. Yeah. You know, and here we are now in a whole different game. So, all right, so you so you worked there for three years, and then let's go. What's what, what's the next chapter look like in your life? Uh, after that is when I got offered the national brand ambassador position for Victor's. So I kind of made quite the leap there. And you and you're in pretty much at the ground floor, right? At that point, Mickey, yeah, Nick Rowland, no yeah, yeah, yeah. There was still uh, they 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 hired me. One, I was obviously very passionate. I wanted to do it. I had a very good following on social media, which was great for that brand because they kind of really took the 
the forefront of marketing online, um, which I really, which I really enjoyed working with them. My only issue with that is I was so burnt out from like, you know, I was opening up Mexico. I was in, uh, in the U S and Canada, Europe. And I was just so burnt out. My, my mental health deteriorated to the lowest point basically in my life. And I, I couldn't handle it anymore. So I, I had to leave. I stayed on as a consultant. I still do a lot of the photography, uh, for them every year. Um, but yeah, I, I was not cut out for that position of, of the constant travel and, and, and drinking and food. It's just not, it was not healthy for me. So, but you know, obviously everything worked out perfectly well. They've, they've been a huge help for me and, and, you know, have, have provided me with a ton of work over the years. So they're still a brand I'm, I'm very happy with and love to work with. And when that was first coming out, I mean, that was, you know, you talked earlier about there were 80, you know, distilleries in the U S and now Mick just pops back up. And, you know, I was around in those first years where like, it was just, I mean, not many people knew about it, you know, now so you are opening up these markets. Like what's that like when you have to be like, Hey, there's actually other whiskeys available other than Jack Daniels, Jim Beam and Milko's Mark. It was, definite, it was definitely a, a great process for me for a couple of reasons. One, because it was kind of like, you know, uh, they were, they were newer to the market. It was kind of a brand that, that you know, I had to work with, but I, my job was easy because the quality of the whiskey spoke for itself. So, I mean, and, and I knew all the nerdy stuff from, from, you know, entry proof to the way they chill filter each product individually to, you know, you know, the spiel, but anyway, you know, back then it was a bit of a challenge because people hated the concept of contract distilling. They thought it was a, a, a total affront, which is hilarious because nowadays it's done all the time. But back then, oh, I, I got a lot of blowback. How oh, could you work for a brand that doesn't even have its own distillery? And I'd explain like, look, they're in charge of the whiskey. They're building the facility. And so that was, it was kind of interesting back then to see how they were kind of considered, you know, the, the bad boys of bourbon when, when now everybody's doing what they've done, you know, oh, and it's completely yeah. accepted as it, as it should be completely accepted. You know, I think just back then just people weren't as uh, informed as, as they are nowadays you know, it had to progress, but it was, it was a fun challenge to say the least to, to kind of work around those. Oh, I mean, I can't like Mexico. I mean, I just, you know, Europe, I can kind of get, yeah, but Mexico where, you know, I go there regularly and like, you don't see American whiskey being drank in Mexico. They drink a lot of scotch, primarily Buchanan's. And a ton of Everyone in Mexico is going drink gin. And then here you are, you're like, Hey, I've got this amazing American whiskey. And, and I mean, Mixers from day one has been more of a, a, a luxury play with cocktails and stuff like that. I think that they've really been on the forefront of, of that, at least what I've seen in Asia, probably the same in Mexico, where Absolutely. you were putting out Absolutely. there. Yeah, we were working with a lot of uh, uh, some, there are actually some really, really incredible craft whiskey bars or craft cocktail bars there in Mexico City. It's a, they had a booming cocktail culture there, which is really fun. Yeah. And Mexico City was also, I mean, Glenn Fittig, um, McCallan that all put brand ambassadors in the city. I mean, it was the place to be for whiskey. And there you are with this American whiskey, you know, going head to head with those guys. Yeah, it was fun, but the, they were, they were very open market. We were doing staff trainings everywhere, working with our importer and it was a, it was an easy, easy sell. I mean, I'd say the hardest place to sell nectars was actually in the U S Europe. They would be like, all right, we'll take 20 cases of each, you know, Mexico was like, we'll take it in. You take anything you taste some, we'll take in. So there was a thirst for American whiskey in foreign countries, and Mictors really nailed it with that. 
in the sense yeah. that their strategy was to, you know, you know, keep keep the vast majority of the whiskey in America, but anytime they went into another country, it would just fly. Well, I mean, I've been impressed with what Matt did, you know, with Asia. It's oh, not brilliant. Like seeing like, you know, like they were like, we're going to go straight into, you know, for lack of better terms, where the high net worth individual that will appreciate it, but we're going to elevate the cocktail with this amazing whiskey. Because I truly like, you know, you and me, we drink a lot of fucking great whiskey. But like what Joe and the whole team and Mictors have done is pretty unique. I mean, I, I remember the first time drinking it and, you know, my listeners don't care because we can talk. But I was like, whoa, like this is way more than two fucks given. This is yeah. high level whiskey, which was not going to be released if it didn't cut the snuff. And they've proved that year over year. It's like it doesn't make it. We don't release it. Absolutely. You know, it wasn't, it was, I, I never felt that Mictors... Look, there's always a money element, but I never felt that they were like, there was someone saying, hey guys, this year we need to sell 500,000 cases, no matter what. Like yeah. I never felt that that happened. I'm sure behind the scenes, obviously there's a financial reward system that needs to happen. But you know, when you see some of these brands where you, you know, we can joke, like we feel like they're pissed in the barrel just to get fucking cases out <laughs> because the market's so hot, you know, the, the give a fuck level was very low. That was never them. That was to me, that was never Japanese whiskey either. You know, when I first tasted Suntory, I'm like, whoa, who that, what, who are these people and what are they doing here? And why does nobody care? And this is, this is a high level of, of presentation and, and curation. They've done, they've done, well, at least a lot of the brands coming out of Japan have done quite the 180 on that mindset. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, I mean, well, that goes back into, you know, well, they, they, if the need's there, you can piss in a barrel. They won't know the difference because it isn't, there aren't many people like us that could tell the difference. You know, they mix it in the cocktail. They don't know what it is. You know, guys like you and me who will drink the stuff neat. It's like we're going for that experience. Yeah, that's where the heart is. So, so you go to mixers, you you take it, you, you take a time out. Do you take a time out from the industry for a minute? Yeah, kind of just heal. Yeah, I took a couple of years off. Like I said, I stayed on board with them as a consultant and to do photography, which you know kept my bills in check. And you know, I just uh, lived off of that for about two years and picked up some other contracts with companies just doing photography and uh, uh, consulting and stuff like that. And then, you know, after a while, I was like, all right, I need to actually start saving money again. So that's when I uh, uh, started uh, working for two years with Whistlepig. And how was that going up there? I mean, that you, you were there before it sold, right? Yeah, yeah. I was there. I was there. I was very happy with my time there. I, I think I got out at the right time, but... Yeah, it was a great company to work for. I'm still friends with a lot of the people I worked with and, and hope to work with more of them in the future. But yeah, then after that, that's when I just sold all my shit and decided to live out of a van. And that's when COVID hit. And that <laughs> kind of <laughs> threw, threw a curveball, to say the least, in my plans, but I made it work. And then, yeah, spent a year living out of a van and then ended up in Wyoming. And here I am. And, and as far as like the whiskey world and the passion, I know you've got some projects you're working on. So, you know, you're still very much engaged, but in a different level. Yeah, I'm working more. I mean, I'm still doing the photography thing, obviously. That's just, yeah. I mean, I get asked to do that by brands all over the world still. And, and I'll, I'll I'll do it um, on occasion with some, if I like working with someone. But I'm doing some behind the scenes stuff. I, I can't really talk about it at this point, but I am working on some pretty some pretty big things that will be announced in the next year or two that I'm super, super excited for. And then let's go through some... You know, because I know you've lived, you've lived large and had some fun. 
Can you go through a couple of like fun experiences you've had with whiskey that you kind of wanted to pinch yourself afterwards? Like, I can't believe I just did that. Or people you've met and hung out with and done tasting, but that you're like, whoa, that one, that's not easy to replicate. Oh, I mean, the whole thing has been really incredible. I mean, from traveling, you know, basically all over the world to work with distilleries anywhere from Europe to Taiwan to Scotland to getting paid to just do what I love, which is the most rewarding thing you could ever do. Like, hey, here's a bunch of money and we want you to go shoot up in the national parks in Banff, Canada with, with you know, the From Barrel to Bottle guys that I became close friends with. Or, you know, I just get to do really whatever I want and get paid to do it. And I've lived that way now for years to the point where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm living in my dream place in Wyoming and still, you know, if I want to make some extra cash, all I have to do is is pick up a client or two and, and go backpack in the wind mountains and take some pictures. And it's beautiful, man. It's like the, it's, it's incredible and something that I try to not take for granted to literally have carved out a niche of exactly what I want and making a living off of it, which is not an easy thing to do. But with me, I'm very determined. I'm very stubborn. If I want something, I make it happen. So it worked. It's, it's been, it's been incredible. Well, and getting to choose who you want to work with and have fun and just having that ability. You know, it's obviously the, your, your skill set with your palette, your skill set with your camera. You know, those kind of skills just don't get outdated. <laughs> There's a constant need for that skill set. And I'm sure you often have had to rummage through some of the garbage and say, nah, I'm good. I'm going to pass on that one, you know, to go to the oh. next one. Because, you know, the garbage level has pretty much grown the last five years. Well, the nice, the nice thing for me is I can make any bottle look pretty. So, I mean, I have brands that I've done shoots for that I'll never really post about. But at the same time, my job as a photographer, and like I tell them, like a lot of brands have asked me over the years, like, hey, can you, uh, we want to pay you to photograph this and post it and write a review. I'm like, no, no, no. As soon as you break in reviews, I can't take your money because I will not be paid to review yeah. whiskey. That's anything that I post is my opinion. And I mostly, I want to keep things positive. There are plenty of reviewers out there that like to shit on everything. I try to yeah. really, I try to only really review whiskey that I like. Like I want to keep it positive. It's very easy to find bad reviews if you, if you really want, but at the same time, I'm very, oh, it's bad energy, bad reviews, bad energy. Yeah. I mean, so I, I tell people the same thing. I don't mind posting, you know, getting paid to post, you know, a picture of the brand and, and giving some of the history and background, but you're never going to see me actually review any, anybody that's paying me. Yeah, I, I I tell brands, you know, I mean, I've stopped receiving bottles for the last two, three years because honestly, the stuff that I was being offered just wasn't stuff that I wanted to drink. Yeah. Great. Like, yeah, of course you want the exposure, but I'm like, I just, I'm not, uh, I will never say anything bad ever and no disrespect. I just, I can't wrap my head around where you're going with this. A lot of marketing companies obviously have come on the scene in the last couple of years because the demand is so high. I mean, when you first got it started 10 years ago, like, you know, like we said, whiskey sat on the shelf. Now it hardly sits on the shelf, except there's 900 different types now. So it yeah. has this appearance that it sits on the shelf because nobody knows what the fuck half these things are. Yeah. They just are filling the space well, where that, the whiskey that we knew used to be. Thankfully, thankfully nowadays, uh, it's whiskey is getting better and better. A lot of I've I've been kind of working behind the scenes with a lot of craft distilleries and and they'll send me stuff to try and, and get my opinion on. And there's some just really incredible stuff coming down the pipeline that's going to be hitting the shelves. Where it's you know a lot of the 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 big distilleries their their quality is kind of going down and they're frantically expanding and 
boosting production, but there's going to be a solid couple of years where they're not going to have much whiskey until they, they can catch up. And these craft guys are, are really starting to, to blow up and create some incredible stuff. Well, I, I mean, I tried some of these, you know, just one-off casks that nobody wanted. You know, they just didn't meet the flavor profile of the core item that whiskey, that, that whatever whiskey distillery needed. And they were selling them off. And, you know, these guys now are coming out with these like one-offs. And I'm like, whoa, what the hell? I've never tasted a Woodford Reserve like that. Or I've never tasted you know, a maker's mark like that. And it's just like, yeah, it didn't fit the profile of what they needed. And they let us buy it. Now, obviously, those people doing that took a huge risk because they never knew what was going to happen. But like, I feel like I feel like now in the whiskey world, it's almost become like a foodie experience. Like the craft guys have like brought their game up so high with uniqueness and it's got to be a, you know, it's a, it's a different model, business model than to what's been happening probably for the last, you know, 40, 50 years, because, you know, no two bottles are going to be the same, but it's catchy. I'm watching people buying these things and go like, whoa, I really appreciate that. And they're drinking yeah. it. Yeah. They're drinking, I, you know, because, you know, obviously I get a lot of shit as a whiskey investor. For the kids' college fun, like, oh, whiskey's meant to be drank, meant to be open. I'm like, I totally agree. But I'm not really in that luxury position that I want to open my Yamazaki cherry cast that I paid like 800 bucks that's worth three grand now. Like, I want to give this money to my children. It doesn't mean I don't have 300 open bottles of whiskey, <laughs> you know, sitting around that I enjoy drinking. I'm just not going to drink stuff that I can't afford to drink. Yeah. I mean, I'm the exact opposite, but I don't have a wife or kids. I just have two dogs, so I can afford to open those bottles. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you, you know, like we were saying earlier, it's like there are some super unique bottles coming out that aren't big names, and they're asking three, four hundred bucks, and it's like it's great whiskey compared to like if you tried to get that same under a known brand, it would be a couple of thousand. Yeah, well, at the same time, I mean, the pricing has gone. A bit, a bit crazy. Like I'm watching brands release five year old whiskey and charge two hundred something. Yeah, a and I'm like, oh, all right, now let's, <laughs> let's pump, let's pump the brakes here. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I was just, I was just working with a distillery in Kentucky. That I just got back from where they're using the only distillery, only bourbon distillery that's using a hundred percent white corn, and the difference that makes over yellow corn is fascinating. And I've done hundred percent red, hundred percent blue. There's just different varietals, the attention to detail, everything from fermentation time, the low barrel entry proof to even even flowing off the still lower. Like there's just so there's so many fascinating things happening right now where people can really experiment and create like what I consider the future of whiskey, where it's a totally different taste profile than what we're used to. A hundred percent. I mean, I, and that's what my comment earlier. It's like a foodie experience. Like they're bringing yeah. the best out by by keeping the ingredient. Kind of, but it's a different ingredient. It's a white corn. It's a cleaner. It's a different product, but it matches corn. You know, check the box for corn. But wait, white corn's just got a whole different flavor profile. But and, and like digging into the flavor profile of all the drinks. And oh, so even like hey, if we tweak this, you know, what can we do here? Even like my favorite single malt distillery in the country, they they import their malted barley from Scotland. They don't they don't use the the brewer's barley that everybody else out here uses. So it's like a totally different flavor profile than that like milk chocolate milk that every single American single malt style has. I love that. I mean I, I I'm super optimistic as far as where the craft stuff's going. I think we're about to go on another journey in the world of whiskey. I think the prices are silly and so so it is. I mean, 
you know, if I look at, you know, going back to earlier, like Springbank, you know, you could find them anywhere. Now you find them nowhere. I got a phone call the other day. Oh, do you want a Springbank 30? It was like three and a half thousand dollars. I'm like, no, I'm good. But I appreciate you calling. Yeah. No, like what? Like, you know, because in Scotch, you know, I buy tons of independent bottlers on auction where I, you know, I just bought a 27 year old Jura for like 270 bucks, you know, independent bottler, like nobody, you know, probably nobody cares who they are or what they do. But for me, I'm like, man, that's a 27 year old Jura. Like I like that. You know, I, I got a 26-year-old Ben Nev by, I don't even know the company that put this thing out, but it's fucking tasty as hell. Uh, that know? sounds, that like, sounds like, uh, uh, what's their name? I've bought a bunch of stuff from them. They're an independent. It's, it's, uh, it's the one La Première Fois. It's uh, never mind. No idea. That. That's yeah, no idea. Yeah, exactly. And it's at 60%. <laughs> you know? That's awesome. It's a, and and that, I think that was like 186 pounds. And I'm like, whoa, like 26 years old scotch, like. It's like a lost generation. Yeah, I mean, if you if you had if you had to label two experiences that stand out in your mind, you got one, you got two. I know I asked you earlier, and you said I've done a lot of crazy shit. Any any one or two? Like I don't know, anything? Uh, definitely my first trip to Scotland, where I got to work with a bunch of different distilleries out there, and that was the first time I visited. That was an incredible experience. Um, and then I just think. I don't know, shooting shooting up in Banff, Canada, which is a spot I'd always wanted to visit. It was just it was it was an amazing experience because I was you know, Scotland was incredible, but this was just like, you know, that that was like, you know, uh working with certain distilleries at certain times and this one was like, here's the bottle, here's the money, make it happen. And that was that was a really awesome and it was also one of the most beautiful experiences and shoots I've ever done, which obviously is a is a huge thing for me. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do it and being such a great influence in the community. Just really fucking sticking true to your passion. You know, it's it's obvious hanging out with you. It's obvious watching what you do. You're passionate about what you do. I love, you know, I live by the same thing that you do. You know, grateful that I get to pick and choose who I work with and enjoy it. It makes working not working when you do that kind of stuff. You know, and whiskey has been a, been a great journey as far as like education. I mean, I had no idea, you know, I grew up drinking three or four different whiskeys. I had no idea what this huge world was. And thanks to Instagram, thanks to the thirst of knowledge, you know, if you think about the hundreds of different whiskeys, if not thousands that I've now drank over the last decade, it's like, I would never have ever foreseen that would happen. And I've literally loved every moment, just learning, just learning, like, whoa, tell me about that. How did you do that? Why did you do that? You know, like, this it's it's you know just grateful grateful yeah uh, it's 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 a it's a blessing to be able to to work at it and and i'm super excited to see what the future brings and and to kind of for for people to see my next uh my next project roll out which will be I i'll tell you I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about that off air but i can't i can't do it on the podcast no 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 no, no. i look forward to hearing i love that um nate do you want to plug anything before you leave you want to send them to any of your pages or websites or anything Oh yeah, you could just do uh, whiskey with a view, no e and whiskey. Uh, that's that's the photography, and then just my personal adventure and and what I'm doing in Wyoming and how everything's working out is just uh, whiskey underscore Nate, no e and whiskey again. But yeah, yeah, feel free to follow along. Well, I appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for taking the time, and I can't wait to see you soon. Hopefully, our paths cross. 
we haven't crossed paths since Vegas. It's been way too damn long. Yeah, it certainly has. And that's a wrap, my friend. We'll see you soon. And Nate, thank you again for coming on. Cheers, brother. <laughs>